Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts. Just wanted to throw out that we will not be airing the Herm Edwards interview at the back end of the podcast. We recorded the interview with the Arizona State head coach on June 9th before the allegations came out against Arizona State and its football program. I know there's a little bit of confusion. Mike Renner and I refer to the interview throughout the podcast. However, we are choosing not to air the interview with Herm Edwards. Again, I apologize for the confusion. Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, we're going to look at traits and stats, advanced stats here at PFF that matter when you're scouting and or evaluating defensive players. We did that for the offensive players the previous week. We're going to look at defensive players this week. And at the back end of the podcast, I interview current Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards. Let's get it. Mike, we have a new brand of smelling salts, and it might be the most fantastic thing we've ever brought to the podcast. I was going to say, there's something new on the table here. There is hype something dust. new. It is Hype Dust. Hype Dust was brought to you, and here's as part of my shout-outs. I'm going to add this to the front of the podcast now. i got an updates and shout-out section on the podcast now, but I'm going to tease a shout-out here. Joel on Instagram at Joel Wears Crocs heard that we needed some smelling salts, and he says, buddy, I got these types that I use when I lift. They're fantastic. He sends in the Hype Dust. Let me read these things. Uh, instructions on how to use one shake bottle two partially open cap three inhale from one to two inches away four lift heavy five don't die we didn't lift heavy tbd on whether or not i'll die we're not but i didn't partially open the cap i went full cap open who took that one on the chest dude these are absolutely fantastic so you shake the bottle and sniff and you get a hundred sniffs i mean you've Never mind. I was going to make 100, sniff, 100 sniffs is high volume. <laughs> 100 sniffs is high one. volume. You don't have to go there. But I will say, it felt like it just replaced my bloodstream. Like, uh, there's something <laughs> else flowing through my veins right now. As just soon as I sniffed it, it really was. So we had, the, we had some other – we had the one – what was the what was the Medical grade? You had? you had? No, you had the, the bottle. That oh, yeah, the rhino ones. The rhino ones. Yeah. We had the medical grade ones. These ones say to another one. Dude, really hype dust is hype absolutely dust. absurd. I am all, I'm ready to lift. I might lift something here. We also <laughs> still have the candles from our guy who sent the candles. We got Campbell Camel's helmet. We continue to add to the podcast thing here. We are excited to go. Other things I have here, some other shout outs. Ben Lindsay, analyst here at PFF. You can follow him on um, Twitter at PFF underscore Lindsay. He's getting married this week, hey. and I'm in his wedding. It's going to be exciting. Big shout-out to Ben Lindsay. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. I'm going to shout this guy out again. He was the new producer added to the 2 for Drafts podcast. I said I didn't know his Twitter when I brought him up on the last episode. It's Max Chadwick. You can follow him on Twitter at Chad underscore Maxwick. A little flip of the first content there, which you love to see. New producer here on 2 for Drafts. And big update, big shout-out here. Officially submitted the rebrand doc to Avid two foreign drafts listeners, Chris Collinsworth and Neil Hornsby. Oh. Reviewing it as we speak, as we continue to march forward on a rebrand. A lot of exciting stuff down the pike here. Really excited for two foreign drafts. We're recording this episode, by the way, on June 14th, 2021. June 14th, 2021. Trying to record these things in advance as we prepare for an absolute center of a summer. Speaking of which, you had some boys in town this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Led to some, some, led to some fruitful stories, for sure. Yeah, it was great. We, uh... Uh, we just did the same shit we always do. Just <laughs> same stuff we always do. Uh, I showed him Cincinnati. I showed him a good time. We went to your pool. Yeah. And you wrestled my friend. That's true. Uh, <laughs> one of your friends, 
you know, challenged me to wrestle. It was a, it was a Boise Saturday, is what it was. You guys were arm wrestling, and I was like, I was not arm wrestling. No, I don't he arm was arm wrestling, okay, he was and then he wrestling. was like, let's wrestle. And I was like, I don't know if you're ready for this. Like, I, I wrestled a little bit in college. I mean, middle school and college, high school, and it's like, oh man, he had like 150 pounds on him. Me, maybe he's like 315. Yeah, 315. But we got the video. Quinn's gonna put the video. If you're watching on YouTube, Quinn, throw this video up. Low man wins in this video. Low man wins. He also just like no technique whatsoever. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was doing, which is you, you just hate to see. This is yeah. the second victim I've taken in Cincinnati. My drunk wrestling matches, I'm 2-0. I don't have that other video, I don't think. But 2-0 here in Cincy. 2-0 here in Cincy. And you also had a decent story we wanted to bring up. Uh, yeah, so Sunday, this is after, I don't know, like two days of, like multiple days of drinking with my friends. We go out to brunch, um, and they leave. Uh, Boomtown Biscuits and Whiskey, if you're ever in Cincinnati, best brunch place in Cincinnati. It was fantastic. But... Uh, as I'm getting in my car to leave, it's kind of up in OTR here, kind of not too far uh, from the PFF offices. I get that feeling that everyone dreads. Um, and I'm, I know I'm going to have to take shit very quickly. <laughs> it's going to happen soon. And I, immediately in my head, I am calculating how long it's going to take me to get to my back to my place, get up my elevator, and then get into what's going to be the public bathroom in my apartment complex because I know already I'm not making it all the way back to my bathroom. I never get so, those feelings. This is wild to me. So I am there a block away, and I'm like, do I turn around and just go back into Boomtown and be like, hey, I'm running into the bathroom? I decide, no, that's a crazy play. Uh, so I'm about a block away in my car, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the PFF office. I'm going <laughs> to the PFF office. I, I, I am a, like, it is, I'm close enough. Drive over here because that's about two minutes. It's about five minutes to get back to my place. It is that's that's the kind of time we're working with here. Small uh, small, small margin window. of error, man. And so I don't even park in the garage. I park on the street, hop out of my car, sprint into the office, and, and this is I have a radio hit with Ken Brew in Cincinnati at eleven. <laughs> it's about ten fifty eight right now. Running into the office. Thank God I make it. I go into the woman's bathroom because I'm not going to make it to the men's. Uh, or not that I'm not going to make it. I probably could have just didn't want to didn't want to have was, you, that was It was not that tight of a window. Didn't you could have made a men's. <laughs> but as I'm on the toilet, I get a call from the call, the radio hit. I am start doing the radio hit. And at some point, uh, he's just talking about, you know, praising PFF. I don't know if you've ever been with Ken Brew. Yeah, yeah. Ken Brew loves PFF. He's an absolute hysteria. Like he says the craziest shit uh, every <laughs> single time I'm on. And... Talking about how PFFs in Cincinnati, and I'm like, yeah, I'm actually, you know, in the office right now. And he's like, well, what are you doing in the office on the <laughs> Sunday? <laughs> What'd you say? I didn't have the heart to tell. I'm like, you know, just grind it. <laughs> that's incredible. Did I not have the. That's why I'm not going to go through the exact details of why I was in the office. Thank on God. Sunday. Thank God. Spare Ken Brew those details. I think yeah. what's what's interesting is I don't. You, you bring up emergency situations like that. I don't think I've ever been in that. Much You're of a joking. dire straight situation. That's like a classic. Oh, you had you drank too much the night before, and that's like really that happens a lot. Man, not I, a lot. I, not a lot. Like in terms of, I don't shit my pants, but I've had emergency situations like that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Enough. Enough about that conversation. Let's go ahead and move to uh, people. People sometimes like the dating stories. This is the opposite. We had some. Just it was a Boise. It was yeah, this a Boise isn't going to help if this is not with our dating life. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, let's start here. So, we, like we said, we're going to do traits and stats that matter when scouting and evaluating defensive players. Starting with defensive tackle, you take the reins there. Talk about some of the things that you look for on tape, and then I'll bring up some of the stable data that PFF has, both from NFL to NFL, year over year stickiness, and then also college to pro. A defensive tackle is a big, at least for like NFL evaluators, a big body type position. Are you six two plus with thirty three plus inch arms and three hundred ten plus pounds? Like that is a big. There is a type that guys that evaluators look for at that position. And it's size, length, and strength. It's the 
to go back to the Daniel Jeremiah scouting term, it's an STI position. Yeah. It is a size, toughness, instincts type of position. Uh, it very much matters. Like Those things matter there because you're going to have to hold up to double teams. You're going to have to do a lot of things at the NFL that you know, 290-pound DT, like a Jalen Twyman, can look awesome at Pitt because he doesn't have two 330-pounders trying to move him off the ball every, every play. And once the, like the defense, the, the double teams you see at college are just nothing like what you're going to see in the NFL. And so a lot of guys just get to the league. I think a big one that's come to mind or that I've seen in recent years really struggle with is Jerry Tillery, Notre Dame defensive tackle, 290 pounds, 6'6", like has the length, but he does just not have the size or strength to hold up to double teams. It just gets annihilated. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, so a lot of times the guys that NFL looks for at that position may not be the most productive, but they fit that mold because that's the mold that can get the job done. Now, there are guys outside that mold that may be undersized, maybe the taller, longer ones who are thinner framed who can get the job done. But I think if you're the undersized ones, you better be a plus-plus athlete. You don't have to be Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's the outlier of outliers. But you better at least be like a Grady Jarrett. You mm-hmm. better at least have that first step. A, a uh, Gosh, Geno Atkins. You know, if you're going to be the six foot six one defensive tackle, you better be getting up the field off the snap and winning in that manner. Because if you're going to be sub 300 pounds – you better be athletic enough. Yeah. It has to it relies then on the athleticism. So those are the big things at that position. And I think just anywhere along the defensive line, I do think that is where the production we see at the college level, as well as offensive line. That's where production at the college level, in terms of winning repeatedly, one-on-one, translates to most of the NFL. Yeah. If you're winning a lot and you're a plus athlete, chances are you're still going to do it at the NFL, even if maybe you don't have one sort of Taking your box, like one of you take every single box the NFL is looking for. I think the the explosiveness is key. I think winning early in the snap is something I say at home when you're looking at defensive tackles that can be those three down type of players mm-hmm. and actually rush the passer successfully in the NFL. Some of the grades or some of the metrics that are super stable are very very much correspondent with what you said. Pass rush grade on those true pass rush opportunities. No play action, no screens, no RPOs. You look at some of the guys that perform well in those areas last year. Milton Williams, Logan Hall is a guy that you talked about as an you know a guy for the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, Christian Barmore ranked inside the top. 10. A little tease here. Jermaine Lolay, Arizona State defensive tackle that Herm Edwards sings his praises. Man, he just keeps winning. Just keeps winning there at Arizona State. Another one, too, is just overall pass rush win rate and pass rush grade. Like those, even without bringing the sample down to true pass rushers or without play action, has very high predictive power, very high stickiness year over year at the collegiate level and in the NFL. Other guys that rank in the top five there, Christian Barmore, Milton Williams, even Haskell Garrett, who's a little bit of an older player there for Ohio State, but still had a lot of success from a pass rush win rate perspective this past year. What are the unstable metrics? A lot of people bring up sacks at defensive tackle and at edge. Sack percentage is one of the more unstable metrics year over year, especially going from college to the NFL. A lot of people brought up with uh, Odafe Owe, the Penn State edge defender. It's like, oh, he had no sacks. You think he's ever going to translate? It's like looking at his pass rush grade and how that's improved is so much more important than actual sack rate. Finishing the play and those types of things, um, just not not as sticky, not as stable as some of these other things. You want to look at wins. You want to look at wins, especially when you can you know, um, sort it down to true pass rushes or without play action. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of these metrics translate to the NFL. It's kind of like line drive rate in baseball. The more you hit line drives, a lot of times you hit a line drive and it goes right to like left fielder shit. Like sometimes a lot of where it ends up is luck. Mm-hmm. 
but you want to look at how often the guy's making solid contact. The more you make solid contact, the more you're going to relate to hits. Yep. And the more you beat offensive linemen, the more it's going to end up in sacks. Not every single line drive is going to be a base hit. Sometimes it's going to go right to the third base or whatever, but I, or the left fielder, like you said. But if you're consistently hitting line drives or if you're consistently beating the offensive lineman ahead of you, that's going to translate to more disruption. That's going to translate to, obviously, more yeah. sacks, more pressures on the quarterback. Shall we now jump to edge defender? Yeah. There are similar, a lot of similar things there. Yep. A lot of similar things. But I do think edge has a, a wider spread of body types, a lot of di- a lot of more different ways to win yep. along the edge where you can have a guy who's you can have a guy who runs a four five and a guy who runs a four nine both be uber productive edge rushers like that it's it doesn't necessarily have one way to win so i think a big thing to ask anytime or i ask myself anytime you're watching a defensive end or edge sort of prospect is how do they win what is what type of edge rusher are they? Are there, there now? There are guys who are kind of the all around can beat you any which way. Those are the guys you obviously want the you know Khalil Max of the world who, who can whatever do it all. JJ Watts of the world who can do it all. But there are some that are you know power rushers, the Cameron Jordans of the world, guys who are going to make you bring your lunch pail every single down because they're going to be trying to go through your chest and they're going to be trying to play that game. When you're that type of edge rusher, you don't need to run a four six. You know, you don't need necessarily this elite get off. Now, obviously, always having elite get off, the burst is always something that matters. But you need strength, you need length, and I do think bend is always something that you want. You can't play stiff off the edge and expect to win. You can't really play stiff anywhere on <laughs> a football field. Very true. Expect to win, but I, I do think, especially on the edge, like you can be stiff. I think more so on the interior and still maybe get the job done. But on the edge, bend, being able to get to the side of an offensive lineman and. Com- and then get yourself free, which is that flexibility. That is kind of a prerequisite no matter what edge rush you're going to be. But length and strength, if you're that power guy, if you are that speed guy, if you are the Brian Burns, if you are going to win in that manner, it's kind of what I just said about the undersized guys at DT. you got to be a plus one. you got to have that elite athleticism. If you don't have elite athleticism and that's the type of edge rush you are, you end up like Shalit Calhoun, mm-hmm. Michigan State guy. You end up uh, like, gosh, who was the – Oklahoma guy. Now this is taking it to too much of a degree, but if you, who the hell was that guy from like five years ago, Oklahoma edge rusher who he didn't even get drafted. But if, <laughs> if you are the guy who wins with speed and quicks at the college level, that's how you win. You're a speed rusher. To do so at the NFL level, you better run like a 4-6 mm-hmm. or lower. And you, you also need to develop a counter. I mean, when we were having that conversation with Brian Burns, he was the explosive guy. He was that guy that at 250 pounds could beat you with his first step every single time. And when you look at his film, a lot of his wins are outside rush wins, dipping along the outside shoulder. But you know, when I had the conversation with him, I think other people talk about Brian Burns, it's developing that long arm. It's developing that bull rush. It's developing that spin. Because if you don't have a counter, it's going to be so much more difficult for you to consistently win the NFL when you know people are jump-setting you and that type of stuff, and they're getting ahead of your speed rushing sets and know you're this one-trick pony. I do think that counter matters, and it matters even more so. I mean, it matters for both sides. It matters for speed rushers and power rushers. I mean, LJ Collier. LJ Collier was a pure power rusher and he was damn good at it you watch that Stanford game from a few years ago the guys are throwing dudes around however you got to have another move you got to have an inside move you got to be able to counter with speed and different things or else you become that one trick pony it just gets that much easier for offensive tackles that maybe don't have set versatility to just kind of lock you down Eric Stryker was who I was thinking. Eric Stryker, that's a, a deep, deep cut. Yeah. Dude. That is a. Deep I don't know why that popped up, but he was the kind of guy who was just like speed rusher, but then an undersized speed rusher who was just not only an athlete, and you're not going to even sniff 
off the tackles in the NFL. So hype stream or not hype stream, hype dust. We'll give you a hundred sniffs. So you know, <laughs> that, that I mean, if Eric Stryker did a little Good bit more stuff. of hype dust, we might be, be having a different conversation. Uh, but yeah, more than one way to win. Uh, having obviously more than one move is great, but like you can develop moves to a degree once you get to the NFL. The elite hands rusher, handsy rushers, they better be like if you're going to win that way. If you are going to be a Trey Flowers, we better see it already. Like the guys who ended up doing that. If you're going to be Gosh, who was the other Patriot? If you're going to be oh, terrible name, the hype dust got all up in my. The hype dust has you like mentally screwed. I wanted you to speak to more. I think on a previous podcast you've talked about complementary edge defenders, complementary mm-hmm. pass rush skill sets, where you have a guy who has speed, and on the opposite end you have more of a power types so that we are pushing people in, like T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, that kind of stuff, where you have you know complementary pass rushers. I think you can get away with having those two different types of guys. Yeah, I, I do think that is. I don't want to say it's important, but. A lot of times you can't have two. Brian Burns. Yes, like, there is still a there's still you know a lot of defenses. You still have the more of the five tech, seven tech, and then you have more of the nine tech. You know whatever you want to call in your defense, and that's you have the rotating guy who, on strength. You have the guy who plays over the tight end or over the tackle, in a yeah, ro- depending on the strength of formation, the guy who plays out wide no matter what of the tight end of the tackle. So uh, having two guys like that, not a lot. That just doesn't exist at the NFL. Yet. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Before we jump to linebacker, I want to give a shout out to some of the sponsors here, one of which is PFF. Make sure to check out PFF's Fantasy Football Podcast hosted by Ian Harditz. Get you caught up on all that stuff. Fantasy football's coming back. Fantasy football's coming back. I know a lot of people did not play this past year due to COVID-19 and that heavily affecting the season and the season's preparation, but a lot of opportunity there. Ian Harditz does a fantastic job with the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Also, betting content, baby. PFF Forecast hosted by George Chahuri and Eric Eager, two of the smartest people at the company. Some of the best bettors at the company as well. If you need betting content for the 2021 NFL season, make sure to check out the PFF Forecast. I'll also mention this, Western Southern, right here on the helmet here. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together, we can look, ale- look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Um, let's now jump to, someone pointed out recently that I say let's jump to a lot, and I need to stop. I'm going to cut it right now. Cutting it right now. We're going to say let's pivot to... Linebackers. Linebackers, talk to me about what you look for on tape with linebackers. There's a lot. Linebacker is the most varied skill set. I think of any. Such a complex position now. Yeah. Uh, And so linebackers, just kind of the way the NFL games evolved. And I talked about this with Steve about how the the whole field is being utilized more so than ever before. Like the the deep zones and deep areas of the football field are under attack constantly. And linebackers are in it a spot in the NFL where they almost have to move like cornerbacks, like the athleticism. And that's why you see safeties transition to linebackers year after year after year, more so like every single year. It's like, oh, college safety, now he's a linebacker. Like the, You just need that level of athleticism because you're covering the full field nowadays. Like at linebacker, your zones are going deeper and you're having to cover more ground quicker than – at any point in NFL history. And so I just wrote down here, this is going to be maybe bad content, but I wrote down literally like all the things a linebacker's asked to do <laughs> and how these are just not, like the things they're asked to do are not necessarily complementary skill sets. They're not, it, there's not like one type that wins at all of these when, mm-hmm. in the running game at linebacker. You have to chase down running backs in the flat. You have to tackle running backs one-on-one 
in space. You have to be able to stop a running back in the hole one-on-one. You have to take on a pulling guard, take on a fullback lead, take on climbing off the line and shed those blocks. Like the tackle a running back one-on-one space has so little to do with taking on a fullback in the hole. Like those are just vastly different skill sets. And then yep. you go to coverage. Also, like vastly different in terms of like the ideal size. You know, like chasing down yes. a running back in the flat and tackling one on one in space. You need to be a certain size, certain level of athleticism. But the other side of that, you know, taking on these offensive linemen, taking on fullback leads, stopping momentum in the hole. Yeah. You need to be beefier. You need to be stronger. You also, need to be mentally tougher. Like that yeah. is. Those are all like I, like I think those are two two split like, like significant athleticism sideline to mm-hmm. sideline range being able to chase down legitimate athletes at the running back position but also being able to put the hard hat on and, and add some lbs and, and fill the hole. But I think the thing that the I don't want to say the NFL has realized, but it's more the NFL is coveting is that hey the one on one in space stuff the linebacker that can't do that leads to bigger plays than the just fullback and hole. If you get taken out of the hole as a fullback, oh it's a five six yard gain. Mm-hmm. Oops, my bad. If you lose one-on-one space against a running back, that could be a house call. Yeah. Like th- those things could lead to far worse results, and so that's why you're having to do, having to move these safety linebackers, things that uh, you're, the NFL is prioritizing the things that lead to bigger plays, and, and especially these in coverage. I'm going to list things like running the seam, uh, reacting to play action, and guarding a deep crosser, manning up on tight ends, manning up on running backs, manning up on slot receivers sometimes, Re- being able to read route concepts and pattern match, being able to clicking close to the flat, clicking close on screens, tackling space. Like those are those are more similar skill sets, but those are all these sort of those are athleticism. That is what's coveted. That's yeah. why your first round running your first round linebackers, once again, sub four or five. You have guys. to be so much yeah. to be good at linebacker. You have to be ridiculously smart, ridiculously prepared, mm-hmm. tough, mentally tough, physical, athletic good size i mean it is again like i said i think it's one of the hardest positions to play in the nfl like yeah. after qb like it is one of the hardest positions to play in the nfl yeah. this is you're asked to do so much you're asked to do so much what the defensive line is asked to do so much what the secondary it's the quarterback is asked to do. Of the defense. it is the quarterback of the defense it's the quarterback of the defense definitely in my opinion the second hardest position to play and i think it's also a big reason why i've had conversations why you know maybe linebackers aren't as valuable it's just you're, it's so difficult to play like it's almost you know, there's a handful that are, are very good in the NFL, a handful at the top of the spectrum. But after that, it, it starts to get this wider pool of it also replaceable becomes, talent. Not replaceable is not the right word, but where every, no one's a clear-cut leader. You know, <laughs> yeah. where there's not high standard deviations between linebacker 6 and yeah. linebacker 12. It almost depends so much on who your DC is. It's almost like an extension. It's like if your linebackers are playing well, it's probably because your DC has them prepared well. That's a very Versus good Versus like if your linebackers aren't playing well, well, it might mean your DC kind of like... Dallas maybe last year might be might mean the defense is like not scheming up the defense or not preparing your defense correctly. Yeah, fair so, enough. Uh, and so what? That's why the NFL what they're covering and what I've come around on since we started this at PFF is like it's only so much instincts can do for you. It's only so much the way you read and process the game can do for you at that position. You better be, you better move like a safety at the least at this point in the NFL to be a a positive impact at that position. There, there are not a lot of stable metrics for the linebacker position from college to the NFL. Yeah. There's not a lot of stable metrics for NFL, NFL year over year. I think where we do see some stability compared to more unstable metrics like coverage grade without pressure, coverage grade in single coverage is ball production, forcing completion rate. If you see linebackers consistently getting their hands on the ball, passes, defense, interceptions, mm-hmm. that has some high predictive power. Also, a lot of play in the run. Run defense grade and run stop percentage. Also, first to contact on run plays has some levels of stability. 
ability. Those are players, again, around the football. You have that culmination of what you said, running the seam, chasing running back in the flat, tackling in space one-on-one. It's getting the football first. And so a lot of that, some of, that, some of that's instincts, block shedding, physical, physicality, all toughness. Yeah. But if you're getting to the football, you're having success at the linebacker position, but so much easier said than done. And it requires so many more skill sets, such a variety of skill set. That you know, it's very, it's rare to see a fucking good one, man. <laughs> like yeah. Luke Keekley's not walking through that door anytime soon. Like that is that is where we're at right now. Yeah, and I think that's why even the NFL themselves, like they just take they are coveting the highest level athletes there because basically saying that those other things are too difficult to uh, too difficult to evaluate, but too not sticky. Like they, yeah. they, the other things that usually at other positions you would say you know you can rely on working year to year, you can't rely on linebackers. So take the thing you can rely on and you know is going to ha- stay Speed. stable which is their <laughs> yeah how what kind of athlete they are I, I do think though the other thing that's very can, can be very evident on tape is what they can do uh from a i guess pass rushing slash taking on blocks perspective how well do they fare in that regard um now not always you're going to get opportunities like jeremiah was you just didn't see him take on blocks that much so that's not always going to be the case you're always going to be able to properly evaluate it but when you see a guy in a blitz heavy role and he's doing it at a high level usually that's going to be a good thing for the next level before we jump to the defensive backs, going to bring up Symbol. PFF has partnered with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts and NFL free agency is still going on. So whoever lands the top of the market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. On to cornerbacks. You're up to bat here. Cornerbacks, where are you looking on tape? Cornerbacks, I know everyone has like the size, length, whatever thresholds. To me, it all, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to feet, speed, and hips. And yeah, more length helps. Like the, those other things can help. But if you're going to be that guy at the cornerback position, like you're going to be an elite level cornerback, feet, speed, and hips. Some of those, some combination of those three. Like that is feet being balanced, um, being able to, I guess, always be reactive on in a position to react and, and not have that hesitation on your transitions and whatever. And again, these are things that stay constant. Like it, it's difficult to teach a guy that level of balance. Like it's difficult to teach these things. Like these are kind of almost innate physical traits in the feet, speed, hips regard that that's what makes a cornerback that can play not just man coverage. I, I think also zone coverage at a high level. And then there's obviously other things that you look like size, length and the physicality, the way you play the position also very important. But I think if you have the, you're not going to get there if you don't have a solid at least enough combination of those feet speed and hips whereas you can overcome you can be 5'9 180 and be a top you can be a good corner in the nfl but you can't without my opinion feet speed and hips what do you feel like are some of the maybe overvalued traits or characteristics of cornerback play that maybe other you know other analysts that you've seen kind of value do you think there are overvalued things that people are looking at or putting too much stock into i mean I, people talk about cornerbacks and tackling and the way they tackle i, I not to say that it's not important to bring down ball carriers, but it is not what separates you mm-hmm. at the NFL level. It's a nice little bonus. Um, I do think length has gotten 
overvalued to a degree. I, I, I don't think it's that um, necessary, like to the position. Mm-hmm. But it it, it kind of does depend on cornerback is another we talked about on the offense side. The farther you are away from the ball, it's depending on what you're getting asked to do. And, and so some schemes, yeah, you need a guy that's just going to be able to press and sit on a wide shift line of scrimmage. And so then it does matter. But if that's not what you're going to do, if you're asking a guy to run like a varied role in the NFL, I don't think just having length is a massive, massive add, value add. I, I think those guys oftentimes get overdrafted. Looking at some of the metrics that are stable, you know, at the collegiate level and then even translate to the NFL is, is coverage grade when you can kind of remove some of the variables. So coverage grade without pressure on the quarterback, coverage grade on passes longer than three seconds. So you're removing a lot of that that shallow stuff, those quick screens and those things. Coverage grade in single coverage and then coverage grade controlled by alignment. So outside cornerback versus slot. You look at coverage grade with no pressure. Some guys that stand out, Trevius, Trevius Hodges Tomlinson, the nephew of LaDainian Thompson playing at TCU. Smaller guy, but dude, he's got some fun tape. I, I don't know if you... You've watched, obviously, you've watched Tomlinson a decent amount. He's got some some fun tape. Probably projects as a slot player at the next level. But man, he's had a lot of success the there TCU, at TCU. Where do they find those? Just like, dude, they get dogs. They yeah. get absolute dogs every single time. Like, he is a smaller player, but he plays like Tarzan. He is a monster. Another guy, Eli Ricks, who a lot of people like out of LSU. J.C. Horn ranked inside the top three this past year. Patrick Sertan inside the top ten in coverage grade without pressure. And then you look at coverage grade in single coverage. Greg Newsom at number one, Kyrie Elam at number two, Tomlinson again, Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati has a lot of uh, has had a lot of success. So I do think that looking at some of those stable grades, that's something that I look for: coverage grade and coverage grade and single coverage, coverage grade at outside cornerback, yards allowed per coverage snap, controlled by alignment. That's where you can start to see some of these guys that are having early success. But then it comes back to turning on the tape and seeing who these, seeing how these guys win. Because mm-hmm. I think at cornerback, you need to see how you win. Do you win like a bully and you catch people and, and take advantage of that, you know, um, <laughs> you know um, contact after five or five, five, ten yards? Or are you winning? Are you match and mirroring? What are you being asked to do? Yeah. How much man coverage are you playing? There's a lot more that goes into it. All these grades, all these metrics need context. I think sometimes when PFF you know, when people bring up PFF grades and, and, and have conversations about them, nothing, nothing with them is absolute. Like Even the most stable metrics PFF has aren't absolute because mm-hmm. there's still so many factors and so much more context, regardless of the metric or grade you're even discussing. Yeah. And, and if I'm you know, evaluating cornerback, I'm going to watch his man coverage snaps. And this, I talked about this on draft day, that J.C. Horn, I was not surprised when he was the top corner selected because the man coverage skill set is what's covered most by the NFL. That's the probably the rarest uh, thing a cornerback can do is be a good press man cornerback. It's kind of, again, it comes back to you're limiting variables the most when you watch a guy in man coverage because press man, no matter what scheme you're in, is press man. And, that, that's, and that's maybe a little bit of an, oversimpl- that's an oversimplification, but a lot of, you know, if say you're playing cover two, you know, cover four, whatever, a lot of that is being put in a good position by your defensive coordinator, how they're coaching you to play certain route concepts, whatnot. So there's more, you're adding a layer of coaching and other things to the table and what they're being asked to do that maybe you don't know as an evaluator. But when you're playing press man, it's kind of press man is press man across the board. You, you are one-on-one against that guy across from you. Are you better than him? Yeah. If you're consistently better than him, like I said, the way J.C. Horn was this past year, that you can almost then rely on being the case, can, where whatever your scheme is. So that's uh, th- that I, I definitely also put more stock in a cornerback's man ability as well. 
And are we now on to safeties? We are. Let us kick it. This one, this is another STI position. Always is. This one's a big, it, it is far more, I think even more so than linebacker. This is kind of a how you see the game type of position. Um, how you, like, this is a, if you want football players, you know, everyone says, oh, he's a football player. That dumbass quote that I also use because to just describe a guy who plays the game the way, you know, the right way, safety is a position you want that at. Yeah. Because it matters. You're processing. Your type at so safety, much. too, is football player. You're like, oh, man, I like this guy because he's a football he's, player and he sees the game well. I, I think yeah. you, you gravitate towards those guys for sure over even guys that have, you know, obviously, you know, the size and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and you do have to recover here, but you're also seeing more than anybody. You see the entire play is developing in front of you. And so you can gain head starts like that. The, the way you see the game can make you so much faster and play so much faster than a guy who maybe runs a four three, but just it, it matters so much how you are seeing the game at that position. So it, it, it is a, like I said, it, it's a, how you process, how quickly you process and how kind of physical and the way you play the game matter a lot. I also would throw hips and uh, smoothness and balance the kind of things we talk about with cornerbacks as well. But like the, who's the, gosh, I'm just terrible at names right now. Alabama safety from two years ago, Zave, Xavier McKinney. Xavier McKinney. Physically, I, I'm not sure there was much on his tape that's just like in terms of like pure physical tools that suggests he's going to be a great football player. Besides the way he plays the game of football. Yep. You know, like that, that, that is a position where I think you have a lot of guys like that. I would say that about Harrison Smith, too. You know, our name safety was, was not anything physically sort of exceptional. Plays the game of football the way you want to play the game of football. Like that. Yeah. So this is a position that football players can – I keep saying football players, but those type of guys, I get it, it matters. The lunch pail types? Or is that what you're saying? Lunch pail, <laughs> lunch pail types, guys who really get it. Guys, uh, guys I mean, football players is the broader way of saying and when, it. And when you. You get a, when you get a guy who gets it, and then he runs in like the four threes. Then you get an Earl Thomas. Like that's when you yeah. have the guys who are. Earl really Thomas bad. is kind of like the crown jewel of the deep safety yeah. position. A guy who like completely understood the game and also had the skill set to have true single high range yeah. and go full on sideline to sideline. In terms of um, you know grades and metrics that do translate, it's another one of those positions where there's not a lot of stickiness there because it's such a low sample size. Like you are targeted a ton at safety. More work needs to be done on how how effective safeties are off ball. A state a stat that I look at is when you're on the football field. How often are you giving up? Big, how often is the defense giving up big plays? Mm-hmm. When you are playing deep safety, how many explosive plays per snap are you allowing? That is something that I look for at deep safety. I think controlling by alignment at safety is so important. You need to have a full understanding yeah. of if this guy's getting forced incompletions from the slot. Is he playing in the box? Is he playing deep safety? Is it two high looks? What coverage are they in? Like TCU plays, plays a completely different set of coverages than Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. Like you need to look at so much more context that position. I think the further away you get from the football. It's all about what you're asked to do. And I think you see these guys get asked to do a ton of different things. And you need to identify what kind of skill set does this kid have? Deep safety skill set, box, slot. I know there's some slot box hybrids in the NFL, but I think that's really important as well. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's kind of the last thing here is that the the versatility, coverage versatility of being able to match slot and deep routes, so much more valuable than being able to tackle in the run game in a, as a box safety role. Like that, the box safety role, like, I don't, I don't want to say it doesn't exist anymore. There are schemes where it does. But what's becoming more and more valuable at safety position is the coverage aspect, what you can do to be able to match these offenses that can go to you know four wide with 
tight ends like Travis Kelsey and really threaten you um, in a number of different ways that you have to have a safety that can match that. Like you yeah. have to have a safety that can come down and play the slot or play a number of different roles in coverage. And that's why it's a processing speed and like how smart are you? Because that's a lot of those things are vastly different. You're going to be asked to do vastly different things on back-to-back plays. And it's not necessarily like if you're lost and don't know your role inside and out, you're going to be screwed. Yep. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. 